Welcome to Learning Line. I'm your host, Danielle Hartman. Today's episode continues with our Critical Conversation series. Our guest today is Amber Chibuck. Amber is the Executive Director of HSHS St. Vincent's Children's Hospital. She has been with HSHS for 11 years and has primarily served in leadership roles. Prior to working at HSHS, Amber worked in sunny San Diego, serving as a clinical RN, RN clinical coordinator, and case manager. In addition to her nursing degrees, she also has a Bachelor's of Arts in Communication and Leadership Studies. Her extensive leadership experience has provided Amber with the opportunity to mentor and develop many professionals. She has also held critical conversations with direct reports, providers, and other healthcare institutions. And while these conversations are never easy, they have been important to helping individuals grow and improve. So without further ado, let's begin our conversation with Amber. Hi, Amber. Welcome to Learning Line. Thank you, Danielle. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thanks you for having me. Yes. So we were talking, you know, before we started recording just about, you know, all the, the great ways to have critical conversations. And I think our listeners are in for a real treat with this episode. You have so much great experience and knowledge to share. So before we jump into those questions, though, we do always like to start with a fun icebreaker just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So our icebreaker question for this episode is, what is your favorite way to spend a relaxing weekend day? (laughs) Well, thank you for asking. And, um, you know, this one could be answered two ways. So if my kids are on their best behavior and there's no fighting that day, my favorite (laughs) way would be waking up in the morning, having coffee, doing yoga. Um, I absolutely love to do gardening and cooking. Um, I grow a lot of my food and then I, I love to cook. And I love traveling to other countries, so um, I'll usually be planning my next trip, um, whether it's, you know, a remote country or the outdoors, um, and trying to find that that next vacation. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like a wonderful weekend day. And hopefully that coffee is hot, too, on that day, right? (laughs) Like, sometimes you got those kids, you're drinking cold coffee. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Wow. So much fun. I think we're gonna have to have a different conversation about your travels because that sounds like you are quite, quite worldly. (laughs) Uh, It keeps you active. I bet. I bet. Um, So we are going to begin our conversation on defining, you know, critical conversations. In our last episode, we gave a definition of what critical conversations mean. But before we jump into our questions, I just want to share that definition with our listeners one more time. So when we're talking about critical conversations, we define critical conversations as a, a conversation in any situation where the needs and wants, opinions, or perceptions of the involved parties are diverse, with their feelings and emotions running strong. And usually there's a reason behind the strong feelings and emotions that they have a lot at stake and they dread the consequences such as conflict. And we use that definition. It comes from cleverism.com. But when we're thinking about critical conversations, that's really the, the point of reference that we want to come to these conversations at. So let's start then with just that first question for you, Amber, is, you know, what is the benefit of conducting a critical conversation? Yeah, well, critical conversations, they're often really scary, and we might avoid or dread them. And that's 
that's actually really normal to do. And it happens in many ways. I mean, it, it's a form of conflict, right? And so oftentimes we'll make an assumption or we'll postpone the matter, avoid the conversation because we think we know what the other person's gonna say. But when we act proactive and we step up to the conversation rather than avoiding it, it doesn't allow for any frustration to fester on either side. And then we don't make assumptions of what the outcome might be. So we act proactively and we step up to a difficult conversation conversation rather than avoiding it. I love that. And uh, the point you made there about, you know, we kind of think we know how the conversation is going to go or what the other party is thinking. I mean, we don't really know. And so the more we just kind of come right. at it and just address it, oh, that's that's so true. So, you know, kind of letting go of those stories and just coming in with an open mind. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I like that. I like that. So we will talk about a couple of critical conversations that are common for leaders. And I'd like to first just start with critical conversations that leaders hold um, when it comes to the IRIS reporting system. So um, the way it works in our organization, you know, you see an event that occurs, you submit an IRIS incident for it, and then as a leader, you get that report. So can you talk to me, you know, first, how, um, how to approach an IRIS event and how this can sometimes be misunderstood? Absolutely. So approaching events take a lot of thought beforehand before I ever even approach somebody. And so a lot of things, a lot of times what I do is I I take an internal sweep of myself first and I say, is there a history of trust or mistrust with this individual? Do I know this person? Do I have a past with them? Um, And what does that relationship really look like? Secondly, I'll evaluate the levels of power and control. And sometimes our title alone can be a very, very scary thing. And so we have to almost uh, act in an additional way to negate what our title is because that can be very scary. Even though myself as a person, Amber is very nice, my title might make me appear to be scarier than I am. So I'll look at that. And then and then the last and final thing I look at is it's what's, what is the perceived culture of Iris within the team or individual? So does that individual think, oh, Iris is punitive. Um, I really don't want to enter it. I'm going to get yelled at. Um, something I, I don't even want to do, or is that team say, you know what, IRIS is really used as an event reporting system so that it can actually make us better. We look at our, the processes as a team and we look for better outcomes. So it's really important to know the history and how this uh, impacts a colleague that might behave in a certain way and allows the leader to quickly pivot to a new approach. So let's take, for example, um, when I started my role here several years ago, um, the team was afraid of the office. And at first I didn't know that. So I moved into my new office and um, they didn't know me. They didn't have a history with me, right? But anytime I heard them say, oh, Amber wanted to talk to somebody that she took them to, air quotes, the office. And I was like, oh, wow. So they think the office is a really bad thing. I didn't know that. I, I didn't think the office is a bad thing at all. So after talking to people and assessing the situation, everyone was like, well, yeah, you know, if you go to the office, you're, you're going to get yelled at. Something happened. Something happened. So what I did is I got a big candy bowl, put this candy bowl on the end of my desk, and I tried to make the office an engaging space. And so anytime um, people come in for candy, and I always leave my door open, not today because we're recording, but other days, I'll always leave my doors open. And people know that they can come in at any time and grab candy. So I'll generally try to stop what I'm doing and just ask them one or two things about themselves. And so with every colleague, I try to know three things about each colleague that I can remember and I can ask them about because it builds trust and it builds a relationship. 
And when you have trust in relationships with people, it actually makes critical conversations a lot easier to have. Oh my goodness, Amber, there are so many great nuggets in there because, you know, we started just talking about how do you kind of approach the conversation, but you're even building outside of that. It's not just, you know, thinking about what words or or statements we want to use, but what is that culture like before we even go into that conversation? And I, I love your realization there that, you know, the office and air quotes, right? Like that's, (laughs) that was the perception. Of course, people are going to be nervous. So, and you know, the ultimate goal of, you know, reporting an event is to improve things. And if that's the feeling that going into the office is going to get you in trouble, wow. I mean, that really, yeah. the the event is important, but kind of changing that perception is, is the first step. So, wow. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to know, you know, even in that initial uh, phase as you were in your, starting your leadership role here at HSHS, how did you approach the conversation since the quote office was someplace that was scary? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And so um, in the beginning, when I first started my leadership role, because the office was still a scary pace, place, it took months to change that perception and a change in culture. Um, when I would have a conversation, it would intentionally be in a neutral place. So um, there's a lot of verbal and nonverbal things that you plan going into crucial conversations. So nonverbal, um, I want to make sure that the setting is one of mutual uh, respect for both of us. So conference room. Um, it needs to be somewhere quiet and private. Of course, you know, um, you don't want other people overhearing it or feeling like you, you can't um, keep things in the open. But another thing you can do is, is something as far as even like sitting at the table, the height of your chair. So if I know that somebody is going to be uh, possibly intimidated by me, or they may have, you know, air quotes, heard something about me that might scare them, I'll intentionally lower the height of my chair and allow their chair to be higher than mine. Um, it's it's a nonverbal um, intent of status and power. And so I, I allow them to feel a height of more power than me so that it puts us on eagle playgrounds. And the reason I'm telling you that is because before, like when I said with title alone, there's certain things that can create perceptions about somebody before you even know them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that's that's really important to do is create that neutral space and neutral territory. Um, and you also want to think win-win going in the conversation, right? What is it that I want to give them out of this? And what is it that they want me to get out of it? I I love that. And again, you you do such a great job of thinking holistically about the entire conversation, right? Even that environment that is such a big piece with having these critical conversations. So someplace where individuals do feel safe and and it does it doesn't feel like a power dynamic is happening there. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you bringing in the seven habits there too, right? Thinking win-win <laughs> because we do want to think about, you know, it's not 1 plus 1 equals 2. It's 1 plus 1 right. equals 100. What are what are the multiple multiple ways that we can think about a win here. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. so let's switch gears to another topic. So we talked a little bit about IRIS event reporting. Let's talk about attendance. That seems to be another conversation that leaders need to have. And sometimes it can be awkward to, you know, ask about attendance and see if someone will just kind of show up into the office and do their job or come to the unit on time. Um, seems easy, but, you know, things happen. And sometimes we have those attendance issues. So yeah. my question for you is, you know, thinking about attendance, When do you find yourself needing to hold this type of conversation? So, you know, that's a really great question. And sometimes we have the ability to make decisions and make rules on our own. 
And other times we are holding a colleague or ourselves or somebody else accountable to rules that already exist. So you have to look at it and you say, okay, rules exist for a reason, policies exist for a reason. My job as a leader is to help you, one, understand the policy, two, follow the policy, and three, if you're unable to follow a policy, why? So again, it's that internal focus to myself. And so before I ever even start one of these conversations, I look inward and I say, did I teach them the policy? Did I give them the opportunity to learn the policy? Do they know the policy? And was it possible to follow the policy? Those are all questions that come from just culture, which is another tool that we use in the organization when helping to identify um, perhaps a critical conversation or an issue with each other. So it's really important when you're starting these conversations to kind of look inward and use the tools that we have. And then sitting down with that colleague and saying, okay, this is the policy as it exists. You know, attendance, for instance, after three uh, PTOUs, which is a missed absence that has not been um, approved, there goes into a coaching. And so you need to make sure that when I'm having that conversation with a colleague, I'll actually use the word coaching. And I want them to know and understand that this is a more serious conversation than one of just, hey, you missed a few days of work. This is, I, I want you to be aware of the policy and I want to be here to help you with the policy. And I'll often give them a paper copy when we're done talking, just so they also have that. Oh, that's, that's great accountability, but also great respect too, right? Really mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, did I take the time to educate them on the policy? Were they aware of, of the situation? And even using that word, like you said, coaching, just to say, you know, this is a serious conversation. Um, mm -hmm. This isn't just like, hey, make sure you show up on time. Um, you know, it is really, how can I help you be successful? I think one skill I learned over time, because in the beginning I used to, I thought I was having a critical conversation with somebody. But in fact, when they walked out of the room, they didn't realize later on that that was considered a coaching, you know, and so you have to make sure that the words and the, the conversation you're having is that you're both on the same page. And so that might jump to like, what does that look like, right? So mm -hmm. oftentimes when I'm meeting with somebody that I want to make sure that I have a clear goal, a clear timeline and clear expectations with them. So mm -hmm. that when we're having this, this discussion, there's a clear understanding of the discussion. What are the outcomes and what do future goals look like? And then I'll also say, how can I help you? What is it? What are the support things that you need from me to be successful in this role? That is great call out and it, it that great pieces of accountability, right? Because mm -hmm. we want to have the conversation and then we want to move forward from it, right? We want to correct right. whatever the behavior is to, to keep us on track. And I think, you know, what we'll find too is most individuals, you know, either don't know they're violating a policy or it's just an accident. And so it's great to have that conversation to, to keep us on track. Um, something I really like though, too, um, you know, being very clear that it is a coaching conversation, because I especially think that, you know, when new leaders have these conversations for the first time, it is that like, oh, yep, I talked to them. And so they know when maybe the colleague did leave, yeah. not knowing that it was a coaching conversation or it was something that we are going to document. So I think, right. you know, being really clear on that is helpful. And even just the way you phrased it makes it so it's an accountable conversation, but it's also respectful because I think yes. you could always go in that opposite way too of being like, hey, Danielle, thanks for coming into the office. This is a conversation where we're going to correct your behavior versus, hey, Danielle, thanks for meeting with me. We're going to have a coaching conversation on attendance. These are the things I'd like to talk about. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's all about that language and being respectful. Um, so thank you. That is perfect, Danielle. And I think that's really important to understand because when you are going into these conversations, 
you know, this rolls on another habit, which is habit number five, and it's seek first to understand, then be understood. And it's mm-hmm. really important that we go in and we're empathetic of the other person and that we sit down and I try to listen to what is it they're telling me and truly listen to them. But it's also very important as a leader that you're fair and consistent. Mm-hmm. So I want to listen to them. I want to be empathetic, but I cannot deviate from policy because that wouldn't be fair. Mm-hmm. I do want to be empathetic, but I also need to be consistent because people talk and they'll know that Amber's always fair and she's consistent. She's empathetic. She's nice about it, but she's going to hold you to the policy because that's the rules. Mm-hmm. Now, there are times we deviate from policy and I'll just give you a quick example of this. So th- I, I, there's always a gray area of things, right? And so when COVID happened, for instance, we could talk about the attendance policy. Mm-hmm. That one got really tricky. Because suddenly you have this really concrete policy that tells you if this, then that. It's Mm -hmm. really concrete. Now, COVID threw a wrench in things because you may not have had a choice if you might have been sick. I was unable to work because my kid was positive for COVID or I was positive for COVID. So we actually had to take a step back. And I think there is a lot of positives to that, right? Because Mm -hmm. you're empathetic, but then you needed to listen to the colleague and say, was it possible that they could come? No, they couldn't come. So was it their fault? Not really. So that really, it it allowed us to step back and say, okay, let's be fair. So anything Mm -hmm. to do with COVID, any of those absences were relinquished. It's just, those aren't going to count against you so that we can be fair um, and consistent in how we do it. But it was also compassionate and empathetic because it was like, we wanted to listen to the colleagues. We wanted to help them understand what they needed to do. Um, but then we also wanted to make sure that we were fair to the organization too. Mm-hmm. That is that is so great. Thank you. And great example too of when maybe we do deviate, but for the most part, we do stick to policy. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Amber, usually we end these conversations talking more about the seven habits, but you did such a wonderful job incorporating just how we can use all the habits in these conversations. So I just really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and, and just your standpoint of all the things you do to prepare that we don't even think about when it comes to a conversation. So I think we are so lucky to have you here as a leader at HSHS. And I'm just grateful for this opportunity to connect with you. And um, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you for listening to this episode of Learning Line. We would like to give special recognition to Claire Kramer, our editor and producer of the show, and Ray Engeldinger, the composer of our music. Ray works in supply chain and wrote, no doubt, the song you are hearing now. Thank you.